This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. Hey, and welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Hope you had a fantastic 4th of July weekend. We're back with you with another brand new episode of 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast available through whatever podcast app you listen from and also on 1037thegame.com. And it was just a great 4th of July weekend for me. This week's show is going to be fantastic. Going to be bringing on independent wrestler Shayla Hyde. She'll be joining the program in a little bit. But I want to start things off with what I think was absolutely the biggest thing coming out of the week that was, and that is Fighter Fest versus the Great American Bash. Night one for both of those shows went down this past Wednesday. And I got to say, there's a big debate going on about which was better, Fighter Fest or Great American Bash. Honestly, I'm going to run through each of those right now and i'm going to start off by saying the mgf promo work at the beginning of the program was fire it was great you know yeah right mentioned the fact that you had they them in a ratings war was interesting and then they continue to make the mgf jungle boy feud one of the top ones and really kind of it's establishing two future top stars in the company and then you had the tag team match with mgf and warlow taking on luchasaurus and jungle boy and Luchasaurus gets the win over Wardlow, pins him in a really fun opening contest. Cracks beginning to show in the team of MGF and Wardlow, so I'm interested to see how that's going to affect this team going forward. Another thing that was brought up was the fact you had the Puppy Battle Royale teased for next week's show. Not sure what I expected, and I'm sure when it happens, Jim Cornette is going to have an aneurysm over it. Then you had the AEW Women's Title match right after that with Hikaru Shida taking on Penelope Ford. A really solid contest, not a whole lot to kind of write home about, but a really fun kind of matchup. Ford had a phenomenal counter to the drop kick off the top rope, doing almost like a Matrix-type move, or Matrish, if you ever heard doing that back in the day. And Ford looked like a star, even in defeat throughout the contest, kicking out of the Falcon Hero, but Shida finished her off with the Shining Wizard. It was just so darn good. To see a solid women's match for the AEW title, because I feel like to a certain extent the women's title has become almost like an afterthought in some cases, but this was a situation where they pulled it off and crushed it. Now we get to probably the match of the night in my book, and that is Cody versus Jake Hager. It was the match of AEW's entire card. This was the one with the most hype. And then you have kind of the tail of the tape for the title match, the video package for this was really cool, and the fact that whenever they were in the ring getting ready, you had the AEW tail of the tape, thanks to Pro Wrestling Musings for coming up with a lot of different stats and facts of the match, and I would love to see that kind of stuff be used a lot more. Obviously, it's not quite like the UFC kind of promotions, and they have where they've got, you know, reach, height, weight. It was more about how each of those matches have gone. I was interested to learn what fouls were in this, so I absolutely enjoyed this and I love the idea of doing this, and I want to see this be done a lot more across promotions like Ring of Honor, Impact, WWE. I don't see them see them doing that, but I wouldn't be surprised if somebody would come up with that idea or something similar to that down the road for maybe New Japan would do something like that. I would love again to see something like that to show 
how much wins and losses matter and how much how important it is to come out strong in a lot of these contests. Then you, I, to me, I think this should have been the main event. I mentioned it earlier on last week's podcast, and the fact that this wasn't the main event was surprising. In fact, right in the middle of the car, the TNT title should have been the main event for this over the tag team main event, which I'll talk about in a little bit. And it was just a really fun match and a creative finish. Cody counting the arm triangle into a pinfall and Hager suspended for 10 days after hitting the official and also was fined. Definitely makes Hager still look like a monster, but this should have been considered the best match on the card and main event in my mind. It just felt really weird to put the Kenny Omega hangman Adam page match against best friends as the main event, but I'll get to that in a little bit because I enjoyed it. But then the next match was Private Party taking on Santana and Ortiz. It was a fine match, just didn't have as much hype versus what the other contests were like. It was a good buffer. I'm not surprised that it was in there, but I feel like at the end of the day, it was overshadowed a lot by the antics between Jericho and Orange Cassidy, continuing to hype up that match, which could possibly be the main event because of the fact that you have Moxley and Cage's match being pushed back to July 15th after Renee Young tested positive for COVID-19. And despite the fact that Moxley has had two negative tests, this sets up to where you could potentially have Mox take on Cage for Fight, fight for the Fallen, which is going to be the main event on July 15th. So now, potentially, you got Jericho and Orange Cassidy being possibly that night two main event up against Keith Lee and Adam Cole, which I'll get to in a little bit because you might have seen something on the interwebs about it. But I brought up, you know, Taz. He cut an amazing promo, and I absolutely love some of the stuff he said, talking about the fact that they don't run a sloppy shop in AEW. Perfect addition of, like, throwing shade all over the WWE for how they've handled this whole pandemic in terms of not testing anybody until the first person did test positive. It's just absolutely confusing, but it's just absolutely amazing. And he's the perfect fit for Brian Cage to be able to mouthpiece. I was not a huge fan of him from Jump Street. I wasn't a fan of the pairing initially because it's like, why is Taz, who was considered like a badass for such a long time, now being saddled with a role as a mouthpiece for a monster? And now I'm starting to realize why. And I love the idea he can bring the fire and really be the perfect pairing for Brian Cage, because I think the weakest part of Brian Cage's game, despite him being really good as an Impact World Champion, is the fact that I feel like he isn't necessarily the best in promos. But he has an amazing body, and I wouldn't. Be, and I like the fact that also they did the Taz's technique and showing how potentially maybe you won't see the paradigm shift being used against Brian Cage in two weeks' time. That was another thing I loved, and I, again. I like the fact they use a little bit more of the realism in terms of the presentation where they don't necessarily have maybe the most realistic matches, but they always have a sense of realism with those little segments. It's almost like when you watch like sports center sometimes and you see those sports science gimmicks, this was exactly what that was. And I loved it. And then you had the main event, Kenny Omega, hangman at a page, the, the mega Cowboys taking on best friends and the mega Cowboys retain. And I loved a lot of things about this match. But the thing I loved the most was the soccer mom van entrance and then Trent's mom calling him by his shoot name. It was hysterical. And there's people out there that absolutely hate the idea. But I think this is absolutely perfect 
for, you know, best friends who aren't necessarily supposed to be taken 100% seriously, despite the fact they've been on a run and winning matches left and right, they're not considered to be the creme de la creme, the top of the pops when it comes right down to it. But I love what they've done with the best friends, putting them in this spot to become number one contenders for the AEW tag team titles coming up just short, but it was a fun match. And again, it just felt like the overall booking of the card was a little strange, but it was interesting seeing, you know, Kenny Omega abusing the alcohol when FTR gave it to him and then it kind of caused the rift and then the Young Bucks had to break it up. It's going to be interesting to see how this kind of like quote unquote alliance goes going forward, especially into an eight man tag in next week's show with the Young Bucks and FTR taking on the Lucha Bros and Butcher and the Blade. That's going to, that is going to be probably one of the more, Interesting matches that and SCU taking on the Dark Order and Cole Cabana. There's a lot of different matches that have a lot of intrigue just in terms of long-term storytelling and seeing which direction they go with some of them. But looking over to NXT, I like this show a lot more, largely because of the fact that I think it had two really great matches and absolute bangers, and you know the rest of them were still solid enough. We start off with the Fatal 4-Way number one contenders match. It was an elimination match. I completely forgot about that when I was kind of putting together my notes for the show. And this is a, was a strong contender for match of the week. I'll get to my favorite match over the last week in just a little bit. But Knox gets the win. Highly entertaining match. Catches Dakota Kai to become the number one contender. A great story was being told. And, you know, you low-key forgot how Candice LeRae was eliminated. Mia Yim gets eliminated in short order before they take a t- timeout. They come back. And it's just Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox squaring off for a shot at being the number one contender at taking on Io Shirai down the road. And it's just great to kind of think about the fact that Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox have been linked ever since November in a really deep and deep seated and intense feud. And we finally see Tegan Knox pull it off and finally get what she deserves. And that is the number one contenders match for the NXT Women's title, and getting to move on past a few with Dakota Kai in the way that she did was absolutely perfect. It was well done. It was, it was all about the final seven to eight minutes. It's a great elimination match, but it wasn't necessarily all about, you know, different storylines could be kind of moving forward. Obviously, Candice LeRae, Mia Yim has been something that's been going on for a while, but it was all about Dakota Kai finally catching Dakota Kai in a one-on-one match and becoming the number one contender. I loved that match a lot. Probably what is going to be my match of the week. I'll get to that towards the end of the program about what my favorite match of the week was. Then we had a big surprise, honestly, was Timothy Thatcher getting the win over Oni Lorcan. This was a catch-as-catch-can match, just really old-school semi-shoot wrestling. It was so much fun to see this, and I'm not necessarily a huge fan of it, but I can see why people like it and why... Having those two together doing that was absolutely perfect. And the commentary really sold how each and every hold was executed and how it wanted paying off. I got to give a big plus to Beth Phoenix mentioning at one point Thatcher was putting his chin on Lorcan's arm to add more pressure. The fact that they mentioned that actually makes you kind of care a lot more about what's going on in the 20 by 20 squared circle. So I'm all the way for that. That is probably one of my favorite matches on the card, bar none. Then you had Robert Stone and Aaliyah versus Rhea Ripley. I just skipped that match altogether. I largely just didn't pay attention to it because I don't like Robert Stone. 
I just can't stand the cat. And this was just a pointless match that you knew Rhea Ripley was going to win in a relative squash, and that's exactly what happened. In fact, I was watching the match, and then once it gets commercials on the DVR, I fast-forward. I fast-forwarded through it so much, I had to, keep, I had to rewind it to catch the finish because it just came out of nowhere. It was a relatively quick kind of finish. And then you had the strap match, which was probably an even better match than what we saw earlier with Thatcher and Lorcan. It was so Perfectly done. The strap match was put together really well. Roderick Strong comes away with the victory. But I love the fact that Sam Shaw has really ramped up that creepy persona he had back in the day in TNA. And he ramped up to 11. And I love it. I love that gimmick so much. And it fits Dexter Loomis so well. I think he could kind of roll with that going forward and be able to put together probably one hell of like a feud with Roderick Strong and the Undisputed Era if you really wanted to. It'd be interesting to see what happens in the next few weeks with Dexter Loomis now that he lost to Roderick Strong. Oh, excuse me. me. Dexter Loomis won that match. Apologies there. Then you have Sasha Banks' Io Shirai with the main event for the NXT Women's Championship. A really fun match and also a great reminder of how good Sasha Banks can be in the ring in one-on-one matches. She's been used a lot more as of late when it comes to like tag team matches. Hasn't necessarily been able to shine in the way that maybe she did just a few years ago, especially in NXT in one-on-one matches, but she crushed it in this one, and the finish was really good. I did not see it coming when Asuka ran in, hit her with the green mist. Just a really fun, entertaining finish. And I absolutely love it. The fact that this was how they bookended the show. And this is a big reason why I loved NXT Great American Bash Night 1 a lot more. They put a lot of heat in each of those matches. So at the end of the day, I give the edge to NXT taking the win on Wednesday night. Not just in the ratings, which they did. But I think at the same time, it's the fact that they crushed it on a lot of different levels. The fact you had bookended with great matches. When you look at AEW... You had a couple promos in there. You had a really good match in Jake Hager and Cody kind of relegated to the middle of the card. And you could have probably had a solid bookended show with that, but it just didn't necessarily work out. And the fact that you had one match that was overshadowed by what was going on outside of that 20 by 20 squared circle. So honestly, I'm interested to see what's going to happen there and how this whole NXT AEW war is going to continue to heat up because obviously Great American Bash was only set up for the purposes of competing directly against both nights of Fighter Fest, which were put on TNT when they were originally planned for BR Live. But overall, again, NXT won this round, but I think it's all just because of the fact they had some strong matches at the beginning and the end of the show, and it gives it the slight edge to me. All right, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. Come back. We got Shayla Hyde joining the Cajun Strong Style Podcast next. Let's go to the back for the latest interview on the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. And we now go to the back with our special guest. She's on the hotline. And we're talking about Shayla Hyde. Shayla, how's it going? It is going so good. I'm finally eating Japanese food, which I haven't had in forever. So I'm, like, super excited because I get Asian it, food. 
Exactly. I'm about to say, that sounds like a pretty good way to spend some time on this 4th of July weekend when we're taping this. But first things first, Shayla, how did you wind up getting into the world of professional wrestling? How did I end up getting into the world of professional wrestling? Yeah, how'd you get into it? Mm, well, it starts when I was, like, really young. I was, like, maybe three to five years old. And my mom was flipping to the channels, and it was, we went by WWE. We went by wrestling and everything. And I started to go back, and I'm like, oh, I want to do that. And I've just been very insistent about doing it. And then I started training when I was 16, going on 17. How was that at 16, 17 years old, kind of to get your training done and be able to kind of be there with all these guys? How was it? It was kind of weird, to be honest, because I, I missed out on a lot of stuff in school because of it. But, like, at the time, I was I was doing multiple sports at the same time. I was doing wrestling, and then I was doing karate, and then gymnastics, and then competitive cheer. So I was doing a lot, so my plate was really full. But it was kind of weird because it's kind of like, I really don't know them, so kind of weird, but I got used to it. But so that's the I, mean, I got used to it. I mean, you brought up the fact you were in competitive cheer, gymnastics, karate. I can about imagine that probably wound up helping you a lot to kind of kind of get into the world of pro wrestling. Yeah, I don't really use the karate. I'm trying to incorporate some of my old cheerleading stuff in there, but I haven't done cheer in like 10 years. <laughs> if I try to do like a backhand spring, I probably will look like a fish out of water. <laughs> might just take a little bit extra time to kind of get that thing in there. But now let's kind of look back at what your first ever match was like in that square circle. Because I think it's always interesting to kind of hear the story of the first ever match. Because obviously you're still learning and you're still trying to kind of get the hang of it and understand how this whole thing goes. But what was your first ever match in front of a crowd like? Oh, I hated it. I did not like my first match. It felt so weird. There was like stuff wasn't going the way I thought it would. Everything like I, I just hated that match. <laughs> like personally, I think it's my worst match today. Talk right now with Shayla Hyde, independent wrestler, and you were actually part of the WWE for a minute as an enhancement talent for the WWE. Mm-hmm. Take me through the course of that day whenever you were backstage and everything in between. What was that like being backstage as an enhancement talent for the WWE? Oh my god, it was so surreal. I remember I because I was there for fast. Uh, Fastlane and then Raw and then SmackDown and I remember getting up and I, I don't know I just looked at my husband and I'm like today's going to be a good day I have a feeling I'm, I'm going to get some awesome news and uh, me and James Rampage we drove uh, to Detroit together and I'm just waiting I got changed every like and everything and I'm, I'm just waiting and they come up and they're like are you Vespa? I'm like, yes. Like, I'm nervous because it's like, wait, whoa, 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 what did I do? I've been sitting here. I haven't done anything. What Did I do something wrong? And everything. So I had to go talk to the guy in charge of the enhancement talent. And he's like, we need you to face Maya tonight. And I'm like, what? Can you repeat that? And then I go back to the other extras and they're like, oh, well, what's going on? What's going on? Why do they need you? And I said, oh, I'm I'm." facing Nasha tonight and they thought it was going to be Ronda Rousey because this was when Ronda was with them and everything and I remember being in the back and just like my nerves are like 
rattling. I'm so nervous. I'm trying to hold back the emotions, trying to be calm, cool, and collective. And luckily, I ran into Paige, who me and her talk, and she was such a sweetheart. And then eventually, before the match, I was sitting there. I was talking with Naya and uh, listening to Naya and Shane McMahon talk and everything. And then eventually, when I went out, I remember the referee, who is John Cohn, actually told me, soak it in, kids, soak it in. <laughs> because I kind of stopped because it was I didn't realize it was that full and everything because on TV, it, it doesn't look as full as it was. But then when you're there in person, it's like so full. And I was in shock. And then I get back and they're like, you did so good. And then Vince McMahon smiled at me. And all I'm thinking is don't smile. Every time you smile, something bad happens. <laughs> <laughs> please, please don't smile. Because oh, when I was growing up, every time Vince would smile, something bad would happen. So I'm like, oh, I'm nervous now. He's like, thank you. And I'm like, I got thanked by Vince McMahon. All right, my, my life made. <laughs> Say, well, that was one hell of a match, pal. That's basically what it sounds like to me. But that, that's an amazing story. But I think, obviously, we hear a lot of flack about thrown towards Nia Jax and the internet community, if you will. And some of it, when you think about everything that's happened with her and the injuries that have been caused by her, maybe not necessarily all because of her, but what do you say about the experience of working with her in the ring? Honestly, um, I felt the safest with her than I have with anybody and everything. And then it, it cracked me up because I see that, too, where people are like, oh, well, Naya's unsafe, Naya needs more training, da-da-da-da-da. But it's kind of like, if she was a guy, you wouldn't be saying that. You'd be just saying, oh, it's, it, it's just how wrestling goes. That's interesting. It, it's like one of those, like, I remember when uh, people were going on about Rebella being dangerous in the ring and everything, and Daniel Bryan came to her defense and said, look, I've injured more people than she has, but y'all ain't saying I'm unsafe. It, it's like, I don't, I don't really know how to explain, explain that, but that's just my opinion on it. I think it's definitely, I mean, when you bring up Daniel Bryan, it's just, I mean, it, and his injuries, it's also kind of, you take credence in the fact of how he wrestles and how he's been wrestling for the better part of about 20 years. It's been mm-hmm. very much like high-risk, high-reward I'm sure if you ask Samoa Joe about one particular spot he had over in TNA, he'd probably wind up saying he'd love to take that one back. But at the end of the day, I mean, you, you can't really do that. Exactly. But, you know, what have you – and again, this is kind of a weird time to be a wrestling fan and also a wrestler, period, right now, because obviously with the pandemic, you know, what's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself during this time where you can't be booked because there's hardly – any independent shows. I know there's some that are running. GCW ran one recently. A certain promotion, which I have been wanting to throw shade at, ran a promotion not too long ago. wasn't a fan of them doing it the way they did. But what's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself during this time? I am very impatient. I think that's something we're I, all kind of learning. Like, I always say, oh, I'm, 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 I'm rather patient. And then as time goes on, I'm like, when can I get back in the ring? This is bull crap. I want to get back in the ring. And I'm like, I've gotten so impatient about it, and I'm just waiting until like everything opens back up so I can wrestle again because that's all I want to do. And I, I mean, you got to think it's definitely the case with a lot of people right now, just wanting to get back in the ring, wanting to just be out and about and kind of do their own thing, you know. And I think what's the biggest thing you've missed the most about like these independent shows that you've done? Mm, the supporters. 
like hearing the roar of the crowd, hearing them boo, hearing them cheer, seeing like the little kids in the audience actually seeing that they can do this stuff that we're doing and everything. I miss it all. I can about imagine missing missing all that stuff because at the end of the day, when you think about how wrestling is presented has been presented over the last three months or so, with hardly any fans or quote unquote fans, and in some cases nobody at all, and it just feels weird. But in the sense we've been kind of like accustomed to it after about three months, but you know, the second that first show goes off with fans in the stands, with the crowd in there. That place is going to be electric, no matter what. Even if you have 20 people in there, mm-hmm. that place is going to be loud. Exactly. I, I can't wait for that. And speaking of that, you know, you've got, obviously, a first match back on the independent scene. What would you want that first match back to be in the first show, whichever one it's going to be? What would you love that to, who would you love that to be against and why? Mm, definitely either Shauna Reed, Haley Shadows, or Heidi Katrina. That's one a, of those three. I, I mean, heck, why not just make it a fatal four-way and just go all out? Yeah, see? You get it. <laughs> and one more before I let you kind of plug what else, what you got going on right now in terms of merch and whatnot. What's the ultimate dream match for you? The ultimate dream? Oh, it would be anything against Mickey James. Oh, yes. I, I'd agree I'd agree with that one. That would, that'd, be, that'd be one hell of a match now that I'm thinking about it. Like, I'm hoping I get signed to WWE before she retires and I do the retirement match because I want to face her so bad. <laughs> she actually called me a baby when I was at uh, WWE because she's like, how old are you? And I told her my age. She's like, oh, you're just a baby. <laughs> that must have been really cool to meet her like, because she seems like a really nice person both in and out of the ring. Oh, she was a sweetheart. Like, it, it was so crazy because I remember the Peggy James story that WWE did, and at the Don't time I was getting picked on from. Yeah, I was getting picked on from my weight, and I told her, I said, "Thank you so much." I said, "Like, I told her, I said, like that storyline and how you handled it uh, made me be able to handle my own situation. Like, it gave me strength and everything, and it was it was just amazing. Like, I've always been a Mickey James fan." So it, it was insane to actually meet her, and I'm like, I'm sitting there trying to be like, okay, you're not spaz out. You got to be calm. You got to be cool. You got to be collected, and you could t- talk to her. Just don't be like, oh my god, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> I mean, that'd be that'd be pretty much full circle. You'd be your biggest fan. She debuted in the WWE in a big like the fan angle. Let's just put it that way. Funny you saying that because I always said if they did a, a repeat of the Trish and Mickey James storyline. I will volunteer to be the obsessed fan of the game. I will take that. Shayla, before I let you go, obviously with what's going on with the pandemic, not necessarily a whole lot of money coming from the bookings, but where did we get your merch and whatnot? Well, you can either contact me directly or, well, actually just contact me directly on any social media, so like Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I usually deal with that. Sh- or if you're on my Patreon, you can contact the email through my Patreon, too. Shayla, thank you again for, for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road. All right. Talk to you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks again to Shayla Hyde for joining the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 
She mentioned the fact she wants to be part of a WWE. Well, Evolve Wrestling is now going to be a part of WWE with the reports coming out over the weekend that Evolve Wrestling has been bought out by the WWE. It's a sad day for independent wrestling, but it felt like it was inevitable in my mind for quite a while because Evolve had been working with WWE similar to how, you know, I'd say double-A ball works. If we're going to bring a baseball analogy into this, think about how minor league baseball is in its current construct. Obviously, if you follow the world of sports, you know there's a chance that thing could want to be changed significantly. But NXT was WWE's AAA brand. AAA ball, until last year, when they treated it like a third working brand. And everybody who was coming through Evolve Wrestling at the time was largely going to be pushed up to the top, being pushed to NXT. You can look at Drew Gulak as a strong example and Matt Riddle. Drew Galloway, the list goes on and on. Guys who were in Evolve were being scouted heavily by WWE to kind of be able to move forward and push themselves towards the top. Now, when it comes to this, I think there's a lot of different questions. And now, because of the fact it evolves, kind of part of the WWN Live Network, which is basically a really big independent streaming service, it's, you're interested to see how what's going to happen with that if Evolve is going to be in that premium tier that's been bandied about for the last several years. And I think I'm more interested in what happens to WWN as a whole because I think we see Evolve in that premium tier, but what happens if you see like some of the other tiers that they were a part of? Like Dragon Gate USA was originally Evolve before Evolve happened, so what happens there? I'd love to see the Dragon Gate USA library in there because then you'd have some Daniel Bryan matches from after he was released by WWE, the handful of shows he did with them. You have a lot of different matches with Drew Gulak and everything in between, and also you'd have... I'd say probably one of the coolest reigns in North American history with Johnny Gargano having an 800-plus day reign as Dragon Gate USA's top title holder. I have to say, this is going to be a lot of fun to see what happens there. Another big thing that happened earlier, actually kind of dropped earlier today, is the fact that WWE SummerSlam is not going to be in Boston, Massachusetts. It just came out recently, the location reportedly confirmed PW Insider had the news first saying that now, you know, this is going to be a big thing. You know, the mayor of Boston, Marty Walsh, stepped up and announced there will, no, be, there will be no large events until at least September in this city. And WWE basically had to figure this whole thing out and figure out something brand new to come when it comes down to it. And they did. They're, they're going to have this thing take place inside the Performance Center. No surprise there. Now you just have to wonder... Are WWE shows going to happen for the rest of 2020 and possibly beyond that? Are they going to now happen inside the WWE Performance Center? Are we just going to continue to see these shows become the new normal? I think we can posit the fact that obviously you're you're very well going to have shows without fans in the stands going forward into probably, I'd say, January or February of next year. Those are a lot of different questions that you're going to have to try and figure out when it comes right down to it, what's going to happen with the WWE's kind of business model. The business model may not necessarily be the big moneymaker that you expect. One of the biggest questions is, obviously, I think house shows are going to go the way of the dinosaur because you don't want to run that risk of having to cancel a whole bunch of these shows. I think now you're just going to rely on having NXT be a touring brand and having Raw and SmackDown go out on tour a lot of different questions surrounding that. So right here, right now, you have the house show business is gone. You've got the live event money that's going to be gone from SummerSlam weekend. 
that's out the door and WWE starting to plan out ahead of time, be able to kind of rush together over the next two months. They're taping two months worth of programming right now. So there's a lot of different questions concerning how they're going to handle all the tapings, all the different programming that they have to put together. Because it's not just, you know, they've got three hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown, two hours of NXT. That's seven total hours of mainline programming a week. That's not counting 205 Live and all the other content that you want to also put together in terms of maybe docu-series for the network and what have you. There's a lot of different questions concerning the future of the WWE and what their plans are going forward, not just when it comes to that premium tier that we keep hearing about, but also because you don't know what's going to happen with the WWE as we know it. What's going to happen to their live events? Is it going to be a situation where NXT no longer does shows in full sale exclusively and moves forward in 2021 to being a touring brand that way? You have three shows a week that are going to be live in arenas with fans in the stands. That's going to be a real question that we're all going to be trying to figure out going forward. And I think the WWE is going to be the business model that a lot of these concert organizations are going to have to follow. Live Nation, Ticketmaster, the list goes on and on. They're going to have to figure out how they're going to handle putting this programming together going forward. Thanks for listening to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. We keep it going on, looking at New Japan. And I mentioned earlier, match of the week came from this. The New Japan Cup Finals took place on will take place this Saturday ahead of Dominion. And the main event is going to be Okada versus Evil. But I'm going to just stick towards one match in particular from that show. Okada versus Takahashi. I want to go on out of my way to watch just this match. I had to watch it twice. It, it was so good. Takahashi really got himself over in a big way in this contest. He had the Rainmaker, Time Bomb, in quick fashion. Only got a two count, but he still looked strong in defeat. And Okada went full Okada, closing moments, pair of Rainmakers, and a Cobra Clutch. People aren't necessarily a huge fan of it, but I like the idea, especially if you can't necessarily get the job done with a Rainmaker. The Rainmaker has proven it to not be quite as effective. The One-Winged Angel and probably... Baron Corbin's deep six has probably been two of the moves that have been considered like almost untouchable. Nobody's been able to kick out of them, but the Rainmaker has kind of almost become like a transitional move. So having the Cobra Clutch in his arsenal, I love that. And you know, Takahashi's been having an absolute banger since coming back from injury late last year, early 2020, is the fact that you know he was just doing so great. And this is another one that fans should go out of their way to see. And this is my favorite match of the week, without a doubt. And it's only July, but I think he this one has a strong candidate to be my match of the month when it comes right down to it. And when it comes to the main event of New Japan Cup Finals, I, I'm definitely kind of conflicted when it comes right down to it of who should win on Saturday. I would absolutely love for Evil to win, but if you're going to have your first show with fans in the stands the next day, Okada versus Naito in a rematch of Night 2 of Wrestle Kingdom might be the best situation in terms of eliciting a reaction. This is going to be your first show with, I'd say, I think it's 30% attendance. I want to see that be your main event of Dominion. Have that rematch for both titles. I would, I'd be all in for it. I'm just going to go ahead and put it that way. Now, before we wrap up the 20, now before we wrap up the Cajun Strong Style podcast, 
this past Fourth of July weekend, I kind of started thinking about my personal favorite wrestling gimmicks involving like the Uber Patriot. I'm going to call it the All American wrestling gimmicks. Here's my top five. Number five, the All American American Jack Swagger. The real American gimmick had a lot of legs, and I'm not for him getting busted for pot after the Elimination Chamber in 2013. He would have likely gotten a solid push as world champion in 2013, and I think this would have been great for him. And, you know, the All-American American, the cockiness of him, I loved this gimmick a lot. The theme song was great, not just the We the People gimmick, but also the original one where it's like Rage Against the Machines, like Cease and the Assistant Brother or whatever. It was awesome. And, in fact, Jack Swagger didn't get nearly as much love. Jake Hager now is more just a generic, I'm a big hoss, doesn't talk much. That's still pretty cool, not going to lie, but not necessarily in that same kind of conversation. Number four is Lex Luger, circa 93-94. Probably would have been ranked higher if he had gotten over at SummerSlam and won the belt and continued being that all-American gimmick that he had. Where he has the Lex Express torn across the USA, maybe Lex Luger could have been more interested in doing the gimmick then maybe you would have had him win it over Yokozuna after slamming him on the 4th of July. And that was an amazing moment in and of itself. Then number three is Sergeant Slaughter. How can you not bring up a guy who was an actual character in G.I. Joe in the conversation of being a top five all-time All-American wrestling gimmick? The Yes, he was an Iraqi sympathizer during the Gulf War, but honestly, we, we aren't considering that. We're considering more Sergeant Slaughter circa the mid-80s, where he became an actual character in G.I. Joe with an action figure and everything. Number two is Hacksaw Jim Duggan. First Royal Rumble winner, Great American, saw him face Kamala back in 2002 for the first all-access wrestling show for those from Louisiana who remember that. I can't not include Hacksaw Jim Duggan out there holding the 2 by 4 and waving the American flag and pretty much having himself a good time. He is the true, like, all-American wrestling gimmick. And I'd probably include Kurt Angle in this list as well, but that feels way too easy in this one. So he gets an honorable mention. Number one, Dusty Rhodes. How can you not include the American Dream Data? He is the undisputed All-American wrestling gimmick, the best of them all in my book. And if you disagree, you can hit us up on Twitter, at Cajun Strong Style. That's at C-A-J-N, Strong Style, on Twitter. It's all one word. Make sure you hit us up. Give us a follow. And that's going to do it for the Cajun Strong Style podcast. Thank you for listening. Hope you leave a nice review for us. Five stars. If you're in the Tokyo Dome right now, I'd give you a lot of credit for being there, but also give us six stars if you're out there in the Tokyo Dome. More importantly, subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Play podcast. Just search 103.7 The Game. You better get that, along with all the other great content that we got, like the Louis Prejean podcast, the Rap Game podcast, all of our regular shows. We got so many different things that you can listen to, and we'll talk to you next time.